0: Hello and welcome to the Society of Critical Care Medicine's iCritical Care Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ludwig Lin. Today, we will be speaking with the Society's 2017 President, Ruth M. Kleimpel, PhD, RN, FAAN, FCCM. Dr. Kleimpel is Director at the Center for Clinical Research and Scholarship and Professor in the College of Nursing at Rush University in Chicago, Illinois. She is now the third Nurse President of SCCM. Dr. Klempel, thank you, uh, first of all, for um, coming in to talk to us, and congratulations on your presidency.
1: Thank you so much. It's quite an honor.
0: So let's uh, get started on um, our little chat. Can you tell us a little bit about your background? What got you interested in critical care initially?
1: Sure. Well, my background is critical care nursing. I started out uh, actually in Ohio. I uh, had my original nursing training at a diploma degree and worked for several years at a community hospital uh, in the step-down unit first and then in the ICU and from the beginning just really was attracted to the intensive care unit environment, uh, the collaborative nature of the work, uh, as well as the challenging patient care Um, At that time, I then relocated to Chicago and had the opportunity to work at University of Illinois Hospital for over 15 years in their surgical ICU, and uh, had a variety of patient care experiences. Uh, At that time, we uh, did not have a specialized uh, neurosurgical ICU, so in the surgical ICU, we received a lot of different types of patients general surgery, uh, specialty surgery, as well as neurosurgical patients. So it gave me a very good broad base uh, of patient care experiences. And at the same time, the hospital environment had a wonderful uh, resource for nurses at that time that you could return to school at the university uh, with waiver of tuition. So I actually took advantage of that to obtain my bachelor's, and master's and really had no intention of continuing on to a PhD, but my professor advisors at that time, you know, encouraged me. And so it was before I was married, before I had children. And looking back, it really worked out. So I obtained my PhD and then uh, obtained a position at Rush University, medical center, originally in research, and that's, I think, what interested me in critical care research as well. And then over the years, I was had the opportunity to obtain my acute care nurse practitioner education because we were actually starting a new program at Rush University. So they wanted faculty to obtain the certification to be able to teach. So then I started practicing as an acute care nurse practitioner and over the years have just had a lot of opportunities in critical care in terms of committee work, clinical research, and my involvement with the society actually started in the 1990s when I was a clinical staff nurse, and I became involved first with the nursing section and then more of the uh, standing committees and ran for council and got reelected, and here I am today. So it's it's been quite uh, a journey, but a wonderful one as well.
0: Ah oh, that sounds great. And I think it's inspiring to the rest of us mm. to know that if if you have an interest and keep on working away sometimes really fun things and really good things happen. There you go. Yeah. What does it mean to you now to be representing nurses in the critical care society as the president?
1: Well, again, it's a fabulous opportunity. I am serving as the third nurse president of the society. And if you look back at the history of the organization, nurses were always embedded within the formation and the early development of the society. Uh, In fact, Dr. Max Harry Weil and the other early leaders uh, intently identified for those that would serve in the council and the leadership roles that a certain number of of positions would be allocated to non-physicians. And so I think from the beginning of the society in 1970 and onward, we've had an emphasis on the multidisciplinary team, which in reality is the way we practice in clinical care. So I think that's why the organization is just one that embraces that concept. And when people join and attend Congress and get involved in committees, I think they gravitate towards that model because that's the model that they know works. So in terms of my presidency, while I'm a nurse, we actually on the council board represent all the disciplines in critical care from physicians and pharmacists, respiratory therapists, nutritionists, um, and over the years, we've really tried to have a cohesive council. Uh, I'm a member of the council, and our 20-member uh, council board is very interactive in making the decisions. So it's not a top-down model where the president makes decisions and such. We really have lengthy discussions. We have council calls uh, usually every two weeks. We have a president's call every week. So there's you know, uh, definitely opportunities for continued dialogue and discussion. But certainly being the third nurse, I I value that opportunity as well.
0: I was curious about what you think are some of the potential strengths as well as the weaknesses of a multidisciplinary society like the SECM.
1: Sure. Well, certainly the strength, as I mentioned, is this is how we practice in a multidisciplinary environment, and we take advantage of everyone's expertise, and so that's optimal for patient care in the clinical setting and it's optimal for decision-making about a critical care organization and maybe strategic initiatives they should pursue so you get the voice of those that are actually rendering critical care at the bedside. So that is certainly a strength. I think another strength is the value of the degree of expertise that sits around the table at our council boards. It's just amazing uh, the variety of experiences the individuals have had and they can share and They're all very hardworking, many of them chair our committees, uh, they're co-leads on our business line, so we have quite a bit of commitment and that's another advantage as well. I wouldn't say a weakness, but I would say a challenge at times is, you know, in the role of president, you're you're asked a lot of things and certainly I, I know a lot about medicine, but I'm not a physician, and I'm the first to say that. So really, our decision-making, that's why our decision-making involves our executive committee, which consists, obviously, of physicians, as well as our executive council, because that is, again, the representative team. So I have plenty of um, experts to help guide me in decision-making as we go forward.
0: I feel like the different interests that you have uh, in terms of... um for example, healthcare staff burnout in terms of clinical research, really uh, looking at the way the healthcare providers interact with families; those are all things that all members of the ICU healthcare team need to deal with. So, I feel like this is going to be really good. I don't don't know if uh, you you had thought about.
1: Well, certainly, and in fact, that's how some of our major current initiatives evolved. Is that there was. You know, needs being expressed by clinicians for tools and resources and uh, issues that have come forward. You mentioned the burnout initiative. We're actually joined uh, in our critical care societies collaborative, which is Society of Critical Care Medicine, the American Association of Critical Care Nurses, American Thoracic Society, and CHEST, And together, the Critical Care Society's collaborative works on different initiatives, but one of the ones we're pursuing currently is addressing burnout. We had a call to action that was published this past July to really raise awareness of burnout and the potential for burnout in ICU healthcare professionals. And we held a session at Congress actually yesterday where Many, many people came up to the microphone and, interestingly enough, shared some innovative strategies based on really all the information that we have been hearing from our constituents. We had a hashtag, Stop ICU Burnout, that was launched when the call to action was published in July and other uh, comments that have come forward in many different media. And so we actually just uh, identified we'll be holding a national summit in December of 2017, where we will bring together 60 experts in the topic both healthcare professionals as well as those in other disciplines psychology sociology other fields to really help guide us on how do we move forward with enacting strategies and also how do we build a research agenda to address this important topic
0: that oh, sounds great. Well, that's a nice segue into the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about, which is one, one of your other new initiatives, which is again uh, collaborative in nature: the sccm PCOR ICU Collaborative. Can you tell us a little bit more about the logistics of that project and uh, your goals and uh, you know your hopes about it?
1: Sure. Uh, The Society had the opportunity to apply for and receive funding from the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, or PCORI, for a two-year project to form a learning collaborative for promoting patient and family engagement in the ICU. Um, We put a call out last year for applications uh, for ICU teams to put forth uh, their level of interest. And we had identified originally having 50 ICU teams participate. We actually had 180 teams apply to participate, and it was a very difficult decision to go through those applications and select the ICUs to participate. But we have we extended the amount we could accept, and so we have 63 ICU teams nationwide in the United States. Involves both adult and pediatric ICUs, and over a ten month timeline they are implementing a patient and center patient and family centered uh, engagement initiative. We launched the kickoff uh, in September of last year. The teams collected baseline data from patients, family members as well as from clinicians, basically fo- focusing on satisfaction. The teams all identify the type of project they would implement, and then there are midpoint metrics they're collecting and then at the end of implementation in July. Uh, June or July of this year, 2017, they'll be collecting post-implementation data to really see has the intervention that they've implemented impacted not only family satisfaction but also clinicians in the ICU.
0: Where are these ICU teams based?
1: They're all, all, all throughout the United States, so we have wide geographic representation. We also have a mix of community as well as academic medical centers and then adult and pediatric ICUs and the teams identified what initiative they would implement. So it was not a specific list that they could choose from. They self-identified what did they want to see their unit change.
0: What is the long-term goal that you have for this collaborative?
1: The long-term goal is really to have uh, experiences that the teams have implemented to be able to share strategies uh, for implementation of uh, really quality, Improvement, performance improvement, family engagement, you know, we're seeing quite a more of an emphasis on engaging the family and care during ICU hospitalization, in, engaging the family is important to the patient, obviously, because oftentimes the patient has an extended period of recovery, and the family may be assuming some of their care, particularly when they're discharged home. So really involving them in the beginning of their care in the ICU, Having families involved helps with decision making because they realize what is involved, what the patient is experiencing, the planning, setting the goals of care. So, decision making is facilitated as well. And communication. You know, you, we find that if you're implementing something like open visitation, you're having families there. And there was actually, we've, we've had open visitation in the United States for quite some time. And initially, there was resistance from some settings from the clinicians because they perceive that if they change the visiting hours and open it up, families would be in the ICU all the time and would potentially be interfering with care. And what we found in those institutions that have changed their visiting hours is that families aren't always staying, but they're there and they come and go and they actually can help with care. So if the patient is anxious, by having a family member there, it facilitates the staff care Um, If a patient is confused, they can help reorient them. So they can provide care to the patient, you know, oral care or help with massage or or whatnot. So it really has been, uh, in the literature as well as in research studies, promoting best outcomes for not only the patient and the family, but we've seen definitely beneficial effects for clinicians.
0: I think it's so exciting how this could potentially dovetail with some of the other projects that SCCM has done. For example, the Thrive project. Right. You were talking about how the family could really help acutely, but that it also helps with their long-term planning, and that's what Thrive is all about.
1: Correct, right, and Thrive is definitely moving forward as well. They'll be reporting to the council their mid-cycle uh, progress, and so we look forward to that. Um, you know, really, this is a newer concept, looking at the care of a patient after discharge and when they're in the home setting. You know, it used to be the intensive care unit just involved the time period when the patient was physically in the ICU. But we see that now we have, a, uh, in our hospital settings, ICUs without walls. You know, you have acutely ill patients on the wards and the emergency department. That's really what evolved rapid response teams. You know, we adopted that practice from the beneficial effects that were seen in other countries, such as Australia. New Zealand, and United Kingdom. Um, So we see extending the involvement of caregivers, clinicians, to family members as a resource and a support after discharge and bringing them through maybe a survivorship clinic or helping family members, you know, in terms of networking and support and helping patients manage with the effects of critical illness, that post-intensive care syndrome. So uh, the, the PCOR ICU project is really starting that process in the ICU, you know, and then extending it with Thrive. Um, But as I indicated, the teams get to choose their uh, initiatives. So I mentioned open visitation. That's one area. Some teams have chosen to change their visiting hours to have them more liberal. Some teams are having families join rounds so that families can participate and listen in, as well as share information about the patient, because who knows the patient the best is the family member. Some teams are implementing family care conferences within 24 to 48 hours of ICU hospitalization to really set goals of care. Some are implementing such things as pet therapy or music therapy. Uh, several teams are integrating diaries uh, for patients. Uh, so it's quite impressive to see the range of projects that ICU teams have chosen and we're most excited to see the results when the collaborative is finished.
0: Do you foresee the society coming up with a set of perhaps best practice guidelines uh, as a result of this collaborative?
1: Well, interesting that you should ask that because at this Congress, we just released an updated version of the Uh, patient and family-centered care guidelines for the intensive care units, spanning the ICUs, including neonatal, pediatric, and adult ICUs. And many of those initiatives that the teams have selected are in those guideline recommendations. Um, We know that with the uh, collaborative, the PCOR ICU collaborative, one of the things we'll be looking to disseminate is the strategies to promote implementation because there's a lot of resistance. There's a lot of barriers to implementing some of these initiatives. So, you know, the guidelines highlight what is best practice, but I think clinicians are still challenged with how do we do this and how do we counter resistance and what are strategies to be able to put forth change. You know, change is hard. We resist change normally as human beings, so clinical change is threatening to clinicians. So, you know, getting over all of those hurdles is uh, a process. So we are looking for those lessons learned to be able to share that with our teams through a number of dissemination uh, mechanisms, uh, including publications and presentations and uh, sessions at Congress. We actually have a session at this Congress. One of our teams will be presenting on their project, and then we have uh, actually a networking session today for the teams that are here at Congress attending, so that will be a nice opportunity.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Do you have any preliminary data about ways to overcome some of those barriers of implementation, or should we hold off?
1: Well, you know, as part of the collaborative, we have an e-community, and we have webinars, and we have monthly calls, and so the teams have been sharing A lot of strategies, and some have come up with innovative ways to promote uh, awareness of their projects. Some are developing videos uh, for their clinician colleagues. Some are developing podcasts. Um, Some are revising their educational materials, so developing a pamphlet for families regarding visiting hours or a pamphlet for families about how to uh, do a, a patient diary and for clinicians as well. Um, So, the teams currently are sharing those resources within the e community, but our intent is really to be able to share those with other ICU teams so that they can get ideas from the good work of others as well.
0: I feel like so many of your passions and your projects really sort of dovetail into each other. So, I'm going to ask you another follow up question about this. Obviously, all of these projects do require additional effort from the healthcare team uh, in each ICU. So this one will take some initial um, activation energy, I guess. Do do, do you feel like this is going to have an impact on the way various clinicians um, have burnout or don't have burnout? Do you have any suspicions about that?
1: Sure, yeah. It is related. Um, You know, the stress within the ICU, there's a lot of factors that impact stress. It's not just the demands of patient care, but it is interactions with family members, uh, it's interaction with other team members. So, you know, we find that these types of initiatives by by changing clinical practice, yes, it is hard work. It requires clinicians to take time to meet in committees and have champions to drive change. But the long-term benefits, you know, downstream, the positive experiences really can help mitigate some of that burnout because you have family members who are more informed who are more participating and who may be less dissatisfied or less angry. You know, they're dealing with stress themselves. So um, same with clinicians. You know, if if we're changing patient care to make it easier for clinicians, having family members come and help with care or, you know, having um, family members be aware of the progress or lack of progress in their loved one improving and setting realistic goals of care, you have less conflicts in terms of goals of care and maybe better appropriate utilization of ICU therapies. Um, So it, it really is a beneficial situation. And one thing that we did for the collaborative is we had, we required administrative support. So a letter had to be submitted with the application from the ICU medical director and nursing director and maybe the chief medical officer or another administrator to say that there would be support to participate and to to support internally this project, change project. So we feel, you know, administrative support is so essential. The clinicians have to be supported, have to be given the time to focus on project development and project implementation, so that's another key area.
0: Well, you're coming on as the leader at a pretty turbulent time in terms of, you know, the political situation in the United States, and I think a lot of people are worried about the economics of healthcare. Mm-hmm. And I was curious about how you feel like this is going to impact critical care. Is the um, society going to try to advocate? Tell me more.
1: Well, when we look at the costs of ICU care, you know, we know that that ICU care is a significant uh, cost factor. And I think if we can make improvements in ICU care, if we can decrease length of stay by having a better care in the ICU, overall we can contribute to better care and health care. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty, certainly, you know, about the direction that health care will take, but I think if we do our best within the ICU environment to promote best practices, and, and here alone at Congress, there are so many sessions and majority of them are being recorded so that clinicians who aren't here can get updates you know in terms of it's it's uncanny because we are an international organization and we have many international attendees as well and they come from countries with different resources different healthcare structures but we're all targeting the same quality metrics if you will where we want to prevent infection we want to Have better care for patients on ventilators. We want to decrease time on ventilation. We want to promote early mobility. We want to, you know, have uh, patients uh, be in the ICU less. Uh, We want to improve survival rates with sepsis by early identification. So all of these areas of care that we focus on in critical care ultimately will improve care in the ICU and then downstream will have an impact on the cost of health care. So I think that's really why we focus on these areas.
0: Have you seen your own hospital change over time in terms of?
1: Well, interestingly enough, our hospital is participating in the collaborative. Uh, So we have both our pediatric ICU uh, that is implementing family care conferences, and our adult ICU is implementing families on rounds. So we have had a great uh, engagement from our clinicians in all of our ICUs. We have four adult ICUs and then the pediatric ICU participating. And it has taken quite a lot of effort. Um, interestingly enough, one of our pharmacists is leading the charge of the all of the committees, and we have very good support from our administration as well as our physicians. Um, so, because of their participation, yes, I have seen changes. Um, we also had participated in the ICU Liberation Collaborative, and so we have seen a number of clinical. Uh, things change our assessments for pain, our documentation and assessments for delirium. Uh, we have implemented over the years early mobilization and have focused that we have walkers at every patient's uh, bed and uh, gate belt training for all of our clinicians and engagement of physical and occupational and respiratory therapy. They come to our team meetings. We actually meet monthly. Um, We have an adult, and then we have a, uh, every third month, we join with the pediatric and neonatal ICUs where we meet and look at quality within the ICU. So we have a a quality improvement committee, and that really brings together all members of the team. So, yes, I have been at my my setting now um, for several years, you know, over 15, and I have seen great changes over the years. You know, Rush has always been dedicated to critical care best practices, and and we continue to see change, and that's how it should be.
0: That's really inspiring. I I think these are all such exciting projects, and I I think I'm probably speaking for a lot of our listeners when I ask you, how can um, other groups get involved? Mm,
1: Yeah, well, certainly we are planning dissemination in several different phases uh, from the PCORI project, but also the SCCM website, as well as resources within the society, um, that are open access on the website in terms of resource materials for implementing initiatives, whether it's ICU Liberation or the Surviving Sepsis Campaign. The Surviving Sepsis Campaign website is another wonderful resource as well. Um, we are hosting a number of webinars and podcasts that are open to members and non members. So, you know, I would urge teams that haven't visited the society's. Uh, website, which is easy to remember. It's www.sccm.org to, you know, look for resources there. We also have an SCCM YouTube channel that has a lot of videos on it. Um, So we are trying to promote uh, dissemination in a variety of ways, uh, as well as at our annual Congress. So this is an exciting opportunity. This, This year alone, at this Congress is the largest attendees. It was the largest number of abstract submissions. It increased over 50% from our our prior year uh, record, so we're most excited. You know, We know that ICU teams all over the world are implementing best practices and want to know those lessons learned and engagement, and I think the networking uh, online and offline has been great.
0: That's pretty cool stuff. I think critical care, like you said, is such a multidisciplinary process. So really, this society is perfectly equipped to really deal with the needs of the various people involved. It's so nice to be able to speak to you in person and to hear about your own personal uh, goals for this upcoming year and to hear about the things that you have planned. Um, Are there any other thoughts that you wanted to share with uh, our audience?
1: Well, two things. I think um, on the topic that we discussed on patient and family-centered care, we're also engaging families more. We actually have a nine-member advisory group for our collaborative project that involves three patients, uh, three ICU clinicians who had been hospitalized in the ICU, and several members of the clergy. And we have found the feedback that we are getting from patients and family members has been invaluable. So I think we're seeing this trend more as we move forward in terms of engaging families. And I think the other exciting initiative that was launched here at Congress was the announcement of our uh, research clinical trials network uh, term discovery. And that will be a major initiative for the society to be able to have its own clinical a research Trials Network, and there's meetings that uh, that were held here from the Steering Committee and the Oversight Committee to move that process forward, so we're looking forward to that as well.
0: What are some of the things that you're most looking forward to doing this year as the President?
1: Well, you know, I, I think certainly just the opportunity to serve as President is quite an honor. It is work. Um, you do represent the organization. You travel to various uh, professional organizations. We have a lot of partner societies that host annual critical care meetings and so you attend those and present but also I think I'm looking most forward as well in addition to those areas um, working with uh, council as we move forward on our new initiatives um, and really uh, putting forth uh, I think new endeavors for the society so a lot to do but uh, it's all good work.
0: Sounds great. Well, I think on that note, we will um, come to the conclusion of this podcast. This has been another edition of the iCritical Care Podcast. For the iCritical Care Podcast team, I'm Ludwig Lin.
2: Join or renew your membership with SCCM, the only multi-professional society dedicated exclusively to the advancement of critical care. Speak with a customer service representative or visit www.sccm.org slash membership for more information. Ludwig Lynn, M.D., is an intensivist and anesthesiologist at Summit Bates Medical Center in the Bay Area in Northern California and is a consulting professor at Stanford University where he teaches a seminar on the psychosocial and economic ramifications of critical illness. Dr. Lynn did his medical training, anesthesia residency, and critical care medicine fellowship at the University of California, San Francisco. He has served as faculty at both Stanford University as well as the University of California, San Francisco, where he was a professor and the medical director of critical care at San Francisco General Hospital. He has interests in patient family communication as well as education. Being a SCCM podcast host reminds Dr. Lynn of his undergraduate days as a news broadcaster for his college radio station, KZSU. The iCritical Care podcast is copyrighted material and all rights are reserved.